doesn't remove our guilt of sin, but it can mitigate the circumstances. Let me, let me explain that a little bit. When I think about it, 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 being ignorant of something doesn't excuse the sin. You're, if you do it out of ignorance, you still sin. You still did something. But here's what it can do. It can mitigate that. So before we jump right back into the passage, I want to give you a few words uh, to kind of think about, some words that, that related to sin that help us to understand how, sh- how we should think about that. For example, the word sin itself. The word sin itself, the most broad term when it comes to sin, just means to miss the mark. If you think of it in terms of a bullseye, um, God has set the target at perfection. He has created us in his image, and he says, this is the target, I want you to hit it. Guess what we do? We miss the mark every single time. We miss it. We don't hit perfection. We, we miss the mark. That's sin. That's the idea. But let me give you some other words, some words that can help us to understand sin a little bit better, and then we'll understand the context of how we can ha- have sin even in our ignorance. The word transgression, we use that, you know, in Scripture. We'll come across this word uh, in, in Hebrew, pesha, uh, transgression. Think of this, in in terms of, when we think about transgression, it's a type of sin that betrays the trust of others. This is a willful and intentional sin that you are, are doing something, maybe for personal gain, for whatever it might be, but you're doing something uh, and it betrays someone else in some manner. For example, you remember when Judas betrayed Jesus. What was he doing? Well, that was a sin of transgression. It was a willful and self-seeking transgression of Judas against Jesus. It was a broken trust. We have sins of transgression. Then there's the word trespass. We're familiar with this one from the Lord's Prayer, right? This meaningful prayer that Jesus said, Lord, forgive us those who have what? Trespassed against us. And, and as we have, what? We've trespassed against others. Well, what's he getting at? What's, what's the significance there? Well, the idea here is that it is a willful offense that's done against someone else. You are willfully doing something that has harmed another person. Uh, this can be a willful act of violence. Some of the most terrible crimes that we see that are willful acts that don't care about the carnage of people in its midst that's that's the idea here of of uh, of trespass it's it's a willful event, offense uh, done against another if you think of it this way you are trespassing on another person's rights they have they have their inherent rights as being created in the image of god and we are trespassing on that we are violating the, their personal rights but keep in mind, we can also trespass against God. We can not only trespass against one another, we can trespass against God. What has God done? God has set clear boundaries. He has said, this is the boundaries from which I want you to operate. I, want you to, I don't want you to go outside of these boundaries. And what do we do? We trespass. We, we go over those boundaries that God has set. He says, I'm going to command you to do certain things. Don't do this. Do this. Go here. Stay away from this. And what do we often do? We trespass. We go where we're not welcome. We go where we're not supposed to be. That's trespassing. We are, you know, I've I've heard it put this way. God doesn't send people to hell. 
you choose by rejecting Christ to go there. And when you go there, you are trespassing because God did not create hell for you. He created it for the devil and his demons. And you are trespassing against God to trespass into hell. So hear me on this. You remember when Pilate said to Jesus, he said, I find no guilt in him. You remember that? So I find no guilt in him. He was actually stating Jesus has not tra- trespassed against anyone. That's the same concept, same words here. He said, I, I see nothing, no guilt in him. He has not committed a trespass against anyone. He hasn't done anything to justify this. And then there's the word iniquity. Iniquity. This is the type of sin that distorts what's good. You might take something that's completely innocent and pervert it. You might take something that um, you can twist it and make it crooked and, 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 and use it for your own uh, humor or own pleasure. They twist things for their own benefit. The word carries the idea, literally it carries the idea of making something crooked. It's, it, it's bending it. And so when you commit iniquity, you're taking something that was good and you're manipulating it and twisting it and, and, and using it in such a way that you want to get something out of it. Sometimes it's perversion in the sense of, you know, you take something that's innocent and you pervert it just for humor's sake. You just think it's funny. Or you just think, um, or you have a personal reason to gain from it. But sometimes people twist things. Uh, they, you can twist things on purpose. You're, you're doing it intentionally. But hear me on this. You can also do iniquity. You can twist things out of ignorance. What do I mean by that? You have a willful, you know, you have a, you're, you're doing something, but you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing it for a greater good. So I'm twisting things, but you've got to, maybe you've, you're doing it out of ignorance, not really knowing what you're doing. Let me give you an example. You remember the moment on the cross when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What were they doing? Iniquity. The sin of iniquity. They were manipulating the situation. But they were thinking they were doing it for good, but they were taking something that was good and they were, they were trying to twist it for themselves. They were making it crooked for themselves. And Jesus is saying they're committing iniquity out of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the full scope of, of the impact of what they're doing. So what, is, what Jesus says here is forgive them for they know not what they do. That's interesting. Let's go back to our key point. What's it say? Ignorance doesn't remove our guilt of sin, but it can mitigate the circumstances. It can help us to come away from that and go, you know what? At least I can understand the circumstances a little bit better now. And in in the Old Testament, when you have trespass, transgression, iniquity, it was the sins of iniquity that were committed out of ignorance that were given the most grace. Because sometimes those people, they were given second chances. They were given another opportunity. All right, you did it because you you didn't know better. 
You did it because you, you were ignorant of what was really going on. And you did this and you sinned here and you had this. It doesn't remove the guilt. You committed this sin, but you did it out of ignorance. And because you did it out of ignorance, you committed this sin. I want you to know that there will be grace, an opportunity for you to get things right. What do we see in Scripture? That's what we see. So let's pick back up with all of that in mind. That background was so important. Why? Because now when we pick back up at verse 17, we understand that what Peter's saying. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. What's he saying there? He's saying, look, look, I, I get it. You were trying to manipulate things. You didn't see the big picture. You didn't get it. Peter could probably say, I didn't know. I didn't fully understand at the time. Maybe you were, you were ignorant. But here's, here's what's incredible. Look at this, verse, verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the, the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began for Moses truly said to the fathers the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days, you are sons of the prophets and are of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquity. Iniquity. You did it out of ignorance. You didn't know. And what does he do? He said, now's your time to get it right. Repent and be converted. I want you to notice here the patience and the grace of God that is being expressed through, ser through, through Peter's sermon. You might even call this the moment of confrontation more so than a sermon. He's dealing with them and saying, listen, you caused this. You did this. You did this. But he could have, he could have just hung out there and stayed there. You know, he died because of you, and he could have just—he could have just been all accusatory, and no grace. But that's not what he did. He certainly pointed out the fault, but then he follows it up with incredible grace. Peter understood, verse eighteen, the old—the Old Testament prophets told us that Christ would suffer. But Peter's finally understanding the big picture, and he's trying to help them understand it. Look at verse 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. 
who was preached to you before. He, what's he saying? Is not the first time you've heard the gospel? We've, we've been saying this over and over and over. You've heard this. This is nothing new. In fact, I, I was like, I'm looking at Peter's message. I thought I could outline it in three parts. Number one, you messed up. You messed up. Number two, God wants, you to, God wants to give you another opportunity. And number three, hey, he's coming again. Get things right. That was his, that's his message. That's it. You messed things up. You messed up. You sinned. You did something. You did committed an iniquity. Even if you did it in your ignorance, you, you messed up. God wants to give you a second chance because that's what he does with iniquity. And then he's coming again, so let's get things right before he comes. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to call you to repentance. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted. He even says in verse 20 that Jesus was preached to you before. So again, he's saying, he's saying listen, this is not news to you to repent and be converted. You've heard this. Church, that's the patience of God. That's the patience of God. You've heard it before, but he's giving you another chance, another opportunity. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. Peter is calling them to be converted. Peter, Peter is saying, listen, today is the day. Repent and be converted. What does that mean, converted? What does it mean? It means to move from unbelief to belief. To move from, you're, you're over here to over here. It means that I was once in the crowd screaming out, crucify him, and now I'm in a different crowd saying, he's my Lord. You're moving from one to the other, and it's being converted from one to the other, from unbelief to belief, from religion to relationship, from guilty to forgiven. It's that important. So look at me. Right? Look at me. Don't miss this. You haven't accepted Christ. Repent and be converted. The same message that Peter shared with them on that day is the same message. And maybe you've heard it before, but that should show you the grace of God that he is waiting patiently for you. If you've never accepted Christ into your life, do you know where you are in this narrative? You're part of the crowd of the opposition. You're part of the crowd that once shouted, crucify him. I used to be in that crowd. I used to be in that crowd. But thanks be to God, even though I had heard the story a thousand times as a, as a kid, as a child, he allowed it one more time for me to say, you know what? I need to stop saying crucify him and know him as my Savior. As a 15-year-old, I gave my life to Christ. My life changed. You say, how much can a 15-year-old? Listen, I, I, I did a lot by 15. I often say, I could, I could, when I was 15, I could cuss a wallpaper off a wall. Uh, and something changed. Something changed. Not something with Jesus. If there's anyone here that say, I, I used to belong to that crowd, or, or I am in that crowd, would you be willing to just say, you know what? I want to move 
I want to move out of that crowd. On your table, there's a little card, and it says, by commitment. And on that card, there's a place for you to say, you know what, I'm committing my life to Christ. And you can do that today. We put a pen, we put a little card there, and all you got to do is just write your name down, check that little box, and we'll get in touch with you and pray with you. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you want to rededicate your life. You can do that as well. You can say, you know what, um, I moved from this crowd to this crowd a long time ago, but I've been drifting back toward this crowd. And I just need to recommit my, my life to the Lord. Whatever that might be, I encourage you to do that. I want you to know that Jesus is still being patient. He's still patient with you and with me. Jesus is still waiting for you to say, yes, I will follow you wholeheartedly. Oh, oh, that he would be patient a little longer. The only reason that he hasn't returned yet is because of his patience. The name of Jesus, it still has the power and the authority, that the same power and authority that it had in Peter's day, it has today. Oh, the name of Jesus. And that leads into one last thought. Let's minister to individuals in the authority of Jesus' name and witness the power of Jesus' name.